pray together. Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? The one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart, whose tongue utters no slander, who does no wrong to a neighbor, and casts no slur on others, who despises a vile person, but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps an oath even when it hurts and does not change their mind, who lends money to the poor without interest, who does not accept a bribe against the innocent. Whoever does these things shall never be shaken. Lord, help us to be an individual right now. Help us to be a church right now. A church that fears you, God, that seeks your wisdom every single moment, every day, that we will keep an oath even when it hurts, that we be men and women of our word, that God, that we'll continue to pursue the right things even when the world is going against your standards, oh God. I pray, God, that with the Holy Spirit, with the conviction of the Holy Spirit, that God, we will live a life that is righteous and holy, and God, that is full of light. Holy Spirit, speak to us right now, God. We're here another Sunday. We just celebrate our second year anniversary. God, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for this new week, this new day that you have given us, oh God. God, it's not about how faithful we were yesterday or how faithful I was last year when I went on missions, but it's about, God, where I am right now today in my walk with you. So, God, we ask for your presence. We ask for your touch to be here in our midst right now in this very moment. If your presence is not here with us, God, everything we do, God, is in vain. So, God, I pray as you transition to the message, I pray, God, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts, those who are listening to this message, God, will be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Holy Spirit, have your way within us. Speak to us, God, for we are humble and broken and we walk to your throne right now with humility. Have your way within us. We come with a repentant heart. We come with a humble heart. We love you, Lord. Have your way within us, O oh God. Pray all these things in your precious Son, Jesus Christ, and I pray. And God's people pray. Amen and amen. Let's begin with today's message. We're continuing back on our Job series. We're now in part 13, and today's message, the title is called The Quest for Wisdom. Can you all repeat after me? Ready? One, two, three. The Quest for Wisdom. Amen. Our main passage today is found in Job chapter 28, and I'm going to be reading from verse 20 through 28. Job chapter 28, verse 20 through 28. And this is what it says. Where then does wisdom come from? Where does understanding dwell? It is hidden from the eyes of every living thing, concealed even from the birds in the sky. Destruction and death say only a rumor of it has reached our ears. Verse 23, God understands the way to it 
and he alone knows where it dwells. Verse 24, for he views the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. Verse 25, when he established the force of the wind and measured out the waters, when he made a decree for the rain and a path for the thunderstorm, then he looked at wisdom and appraised it. He confirmed it and tested it. And he said to the human race, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to shun evil is understanding. We learn here in verse 23 that God understands the way to it. He alone knows where it dwells. Only God, wisdom, comes from God. It belongs to him and him alone. It doesn't belong to anyone else. Not even the animals. No, not even, no matter how many PhDs, degrees you have, the true wisdom comes from God and only he sees it. He sees everything under the heavens, it tells us. And what is the wisdom? It says here, and look at verse 28. And he said to the human race, the fear of the Lord. Can you repeat after me? The fear of the Lord. That is wisdom. And to shun evil is understanding. So I have four points for us this, this afternoon. Number one, starting at point number one, is this. What exactly is wisdom? Let's talk about what wisdom is. What exactly is wisdom? Take a look at verse 28. And he said to the human race, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to shun evil is understanding. So wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Can we turn to our neighbor and say the fear, fear. of the Lord? Verse 28, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to shun evil is understanding. So what do I mean by when I say fear? When I talk about fear, I'm talking about to respect, to revere. I'm talking about to trust. I'm talking about to be in awe of God's power, His might, His holiness, His majesty is to be in awe before God. We don't go up to someone, especially when you travel, and you see the president of the other, another country, you give him a high five, right? You show a proper respect. So with God, there's a, there's a healthy dose of fear when we approach God. We don't approach him casually, like he is my casual friend, but we approach him with fear and with reverence, with awe, understanding who he is, even in the way that we dress, ladies, in the way that we dress, in the way we show our bodies, men, in the, in the things that we wear, in the way that we show ourselves to be, in the way we approach God, when we pray, we're not putting our feet up, and we, yes, it's about the heart, but at the same time, we show with the posture of our body. It's about understanding, having a healthy dose of fear, and that is wisdom. Fear of the Lord is wisdom. Again, fear means to respect. Fear means to revere. Fear means to trust. Fear means to be in awe of God's presence, in His might, in His power, in His majesty, in His, in His holiness, in who He is. And the fear of the Lord, that phrase, is found all throughout the book of Psalms, the book of Proverbs, in the book of Job, in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's found in the book of so Song of Songs, it's found all throughout scripture, the phrase, the fear of the Lord. That is wisdom. So true wisdom is this. According to a new dictionary of biblical theology in the book, it says, 
It defines wisdom, true wisdom as this. It says, true wisdom comes from God. We learn in our reading from Joe right here in, in verse 23, God understands the way to it, and he alone knows where it dwells. In the beginning, in verse 20, in chapter 28, Job chapter 28, verse 20, it asks a question. Where then does wisdom come from? Where does understanding dwell? We learn from Job 28, in verse 23, that God understands the way to it, and he alone knows where it dwells. And he views from the earth. He sees everything under the heavens. So in this passage that's found in New Dictionary of Biblical Theology, it says, true wisdom comes from God. It is God who gives to humans a heart capable of discerning good and evil. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 9. The original sin of humankind was the belief that it was possible to acquire wisdom by human powers alone, disregarding the will of God. Genesis chapter 3, verse 5 to 6 references when Adam and Eve, they, when, when they ate the fruit, when they were forbidden to eat that you will be like God. The beginning of true wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Can you repeat after me? The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. And it's found all throughout. Proverbs, Psalms, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, which is the source of all life. Amen. Wisdom belongs to God. And Job, in his suffering, Without the wisdom that came from God, he would not, he, he could not have endured. He could not have come, uh, overcoming, overcoming the way that he did, overcoming the adversity that he did, without the wisdom of God. Only the wisdom of God will help us to see it in its right perspective, especially when we are undergoing suffering and trials in life. If we don't have wisdom, then we will live foolishly. Later, I'm going to talk about the opposite of wisdom, which is being a foolish individual. A foolish individual who doesn't have the wisdom of God, when you go through trials, you will actually curse God. But wisdom helps us see God with the right perspective. That's for later. We're going to get to that. But again, let me just give you a reference that's found here. 1 Kings chapter 3. Verse 5 through 15. And I want to talk about a character that is very famous in the Bible who is known for his wisdom. And in this reference, in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 5 through 15, the main character here, his name is Solomon. And Solomon, he is a son of David. He is a man who built the temple, the physical temple for the Lord. David, he couldn't do it because he had too much blood in his hands. God didn't allow David to build the temple. David wanted to build the temple, but Solomon was the one that built the physical temple for the Lord. And Solomon was known for his wisdom. Whenever you think about Solomon, think about wisdom, not Yun's brother, okay? Solomon is a man that was filled with wisdom. He was a king, a son of David. So in this reference, it says this. In verse 5, At Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Again, Solomon is, is a young boy here. Okay, he's not a grown-up. Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered, You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David. Because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. 
You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. But I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Verse 8. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. Verse 9, so give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? Verse 10, the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that, so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor so that in your lifetime you have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. Then Solomon awoke and he realized it had been a dream. So what does Solomon ask when God asks, whatever you ask, you want me to give you? And Solomon, how does he answer? He says in verse 6, you have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and a righteous and upright heart. You have continued this great kindness to him, have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Verse 7, now, Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a, a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant, verse 8, your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. Verse 9, so give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong for who is able to govern this great people of yours. So pretty much he's asking God, God, give me a heart of wisdom. And because he asked for a heart of wisdom, God gives him what? He gives him both wealth and honor. We get it wrong. The world, we get it wrong. We pursue wealth and honor first, and then wisdom comes last. But wisdom as Christians is number one. We must pursue the wisdom of God, the secret wisdom of God, the spirit of wisdom from God that comes from the Holy Spirit. Then honor and wealth will follow along. And even if it doesn't, it doesn't matter as long as you are living upright before God. Are you a man and woman who are seeking the wisdom of God? And not only that, he receives a long life as well. But there was a catch. There was a catch. There was a catch. You have to walk in obedience to God. In verse 14, And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life life. That's the catch. You have to follow him with obedience. Are you following God with obedience today? I'm going to continue. James chapter 1, verse 5 through 8. It's on the screen. It says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. 
and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. So what is wisdom? Wisdom is someone who is not double-minded, who has double standards, someone who is not unstable. You are a stable individual if you are a man and woman of wisdom. And it says here that you must ask and not doubt. So what we can learn from here between these two passages, 1 Kings chapter 3 with Solomon, James chapter 1, 5 through 8, is that we must ask God for wisdom. Ask and not believe, and you will receive. Ask Him. Ask God if you lack wisdom, it says in James 1. If any of you lacks wisdom, ask God, who gives generously without finding fault. But if you ask, you must believe and not doubt. The reason why we are not receiving wisdom, the reason why we don't walk with wisdom today, is because, number one, we don't ask, and number two, we doubt when we ask. You must have faith, and it must come together. Wisdom and faith, believing in Him, in the one who gives freely, generously, without finding fault. He gives it if you ask and if you believe. The reason why a lot of people, a lot of individuals, and a lot of times when I, when we, even as Christians, when we make foolish decisions, we walk foolishly, is because we don't ask and we don't believe and we doubt. Therefore, we are tossed back and forth and we are double-minded and we are not stable in what we do, according to James 1. Solomon, God asks him, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon says, I ask for wisdom, God. And wisdom he received because he believed. So again, what is wisdom? It's the fear of the Lord. It's to have a healthy dose of fear, reverence, honor to God. Understanding the awe of his power, being in awe before his presence, before his majesty, in who he is, to respect and to revere and to trust. Again, what exactly is wisdom? If someone asks, what is wisdom? You say, the fear of the Lord. Okay, simple, the fear of the Lord. And you must ask, ask God for wisdom. And next passage is found in Proverbs 1. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I want to encourage you this week, uh, during the week, especially during, during morning prayer, I want to encourage you to read the whole Proverbs 1, chapter 1. But I'm going to just go ahead and read bits and parts of the passages. Well, let's start from verse 7, 7 through 9. It's on the screen. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They are a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. Skip to verse 33. 
But whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. Please go ahead and read Proverbs chapter 1 this week. There are beautiful parts in this, in this proverb here. And in verse 29, it's not on the screen, but it says, Since they hated knowledge, it did not choose to fear the Lord. Since they will not accept my advice and spur my rebuke, they will eat the fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. For the waywardness of the simple will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. If we don't follow the wisdom of God, if we reject the wisdom of God, pretty much Proverbs 1 is telling us, that we will be killed, that we will be destroyed. So again, Proverbs 1, whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. Amen. And another passage I want to encourage you to read, maybe you could do Tuesday, Proverbs 1. Uh, Thursday, you could do Psalm 1. Psalm 1 is a passage that we've all memorized as a mission team. Even though there are different versions, I memorized a different earlier version. So this new version kind of throws me off. But what does it say in Psalm 1? Let's all read it together. Ready? One, two, three. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers, not so the wicked. They are like shafts that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Amen. Again, so what is the true, what exactly is wisdom? What exactly is wisdom? It's the fear of the Lord. Leading to point number two. What is the opposite of wisdom? What is the opposite of wisdom? As I mentioned earlier, the opposite of wisdom is foolishness. And what do I mean by foolishness? I'm talking about foolish living, making foolish decisions. And another question, I'm gonna, uh, this question, follow-up question that I'm going to ask that's going to help us understand a full picture of what's going on here, where foolishness comes from, is this. Where does foolishness stem from? It stems from pride, pride, pride. In the book, Mere Christianity, in chapter 8 of the book, it's titled, The Great Sin. And I want to encourage you to go ahead and read this book. It's by C.S. Lewis Clive Staples, right, Lewis. He wrote this book. And in this chapter, it says, The Great Sin. And in this chapter, and I'm just going to read some quotes from this chapter, and it talks about what pride is. So to understand pride is... Uh, for example, I have this thing where my skin rips, but even no matter how much I put lotion or, or how much I put Band-Aid on, uh, if I don't focus on something that is inside, the issue that's going on, something that is going on in my body that's obviously causing me to have the skin issue, right? 
It's not about putting band-aid. It's not about putting the amount of lotion that you put on every single day, but it's about something that is happening within my body. So again, foolishness is the outward symptom that's happening here. When an individual, when a friend or a family member, when they live a foolish life, that's just a symptom that we see with our eyes. But the question is, what is going on inside them? What is going on deep within their soul, their body? What is going on in the core? What is the root of where it's coming from? And that's what this is. Foolishness is the symptom. Pride is the root. Let's talk about what pride is and see what C.S. Lewis says about pride. In this chapter, he says, It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. There is one vice of which no man in the world is free, which everyone in the world loads when he sees it in someone else, and of which hardly any people, except Christians, ever imagine that they are guilty themselves. There is no fault which makes a man more unpopular, and no fault which we are more unconscious of in ourselves. And the more we have it our, ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. According to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil, is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. It is pride which has been the chief cause of misery in every nation and in every family since the world began. Other vices may sometimes bring people together. You may find good fellowship and jokes and friendly, friendliness among drunken people or unchaste people. But pride always means enmity. It is enmity. And not only enmity between man and man, but enmity to God. A pride man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. Do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble, quote-unquote humble nowadays. He will not be a, a sort of greasy, smarmy person who is always telling you that, of course, he is nobody. If anyone would like to acquire humility, I can't think. I think, tell them the first step. The first step is to realize that one is proud. And a biggish step, two, at least nothing, whatever can be done before it. If you think you are not conceited, it means you are very conceited indeed. Humility is such a tricky thing. Pride is such a tricky thing. Because pride comes at any moment. It creeps in into our heart. A, a humble individual can say, I'm, I'm pretty humble, then you're not humble. You just debunked your whole statement. Humility is about the heart. And if your heart is not humble, then everything we do is crooked. So again, what is the opposite of wisdom? Is foolishness. And where does foolishness stem from? It's pride. It's pride. So the question, what is the cure to pride? It's the spirit of humility. It's the spirit of humility. 
is to die to ourselves. It's about putting others above ourselves and following in the steps of Jesus Christ. If you remember from our Philippians series, Paul, he talks about, he reminds us about what humility means. Where Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 through 11, it says this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. How do you become humble? You have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. What was the mindset? Verse 6, it reminds us the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing but taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. I mean, that's humility. Jesus did not go so that he can be exalted, but he went and he died. He, he underwent suffering. He placed you above himself. He placed your interest. He placed the interest of the human race above himself because he loved the world, because he loved us. That's humility. That's the cure to pride. Once we start putting others above ourselves, we start loving our neighbors above ourselves. Then, in verse 9, it reminds us, God exalted him. He says in verse 9, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. As Christians, you have to remember that we live in an upside-down kingdom. The high will become low, and the low will become high. Only when you humble yourselves, when you kill the pride that is within us, then can we be lifted high. And that requires wisdom from God, spirit of humility. Again, what we read here in these passages, humility is not, according to what we just read, Clive Staples in Mere Christianity, it's not, oh, I am warm, Lord. A lot of people I see, they think they're humble and they say, oh, no, I suck. No, I, oh, I'm no good. I can't do this. I'm unworthy. We walk with guilt and we think, oh, and people look at them and be like, oh, man, that person is so humble. No, that person is a fool. That is not a definition of humility. Humility is being confident in your abilities. Humility is about being confident in who you are before God. Imagine David faces Goliath. Oh, no, I, no, I stink. You know, I, oh, I can't do it. I, I don't know. Oh, and he goes and he, what does he say? How dare he blaspheme the name of God? He went with confidence. He had confidence in his abilities from his past that God had walked with him. 
That when he faced lions and bears, when he saved them from the when he saved his sheep from these animals that tried to attack them with the sling, he was confident in his abilities. Humility is about putting others' interests above your own. It's about being confident in your abilities and in your gifts that God has given you and in your accomplishments. And, and you point it back to God. That's humility. You give glory to God. That's humility. A lot of you have a wrong definition of humility, and you need to stop that. It's embarrassing as Christian men and women of God. That's fake humility. That's actually pride. Do you know why? Because you're putting your feeling, your guilt, your shame before God. You're saying your problem is bigger than God's grace, His love, the blood that was shed for us. His blood covers all sin. How dare we place our sin, my feelings, how I feel, above God? You need spirit of humility. That's the cure for pride. And where does humility come from? It comes from God. It comes from Jesus Christ. Had the mindset of Jesus Christ that says here, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Who would be in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in the appearance of as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death and death on the cross. Do you understand what that statement means? The weight of that statement. God himself becoming a human being, the incarnation as an infant. There's no greater act of humility than what Jesus did for us. But yeah, we come to church. Oh, you know, I, I stink. I'm, I'm a worm. Oh, I feel filled with guilt for my past, all these things that I've done. How dare we place our feelings above who God is? Humility is about putting your accomplishments and your gifts and you give it to God. And you place others' interests above your own. You look up. Do not look down. Do not look down on others. Think that you're better than others. Take your accomplishments and victories and point it back to God. Take it far from, away from yourself. Never dare we say, oh, I've done this. I accomplished this. I was able to graduate with this degree, with my own strength. But we do it with humility. Amen? Leading to point number three. Where can wisdom be found? And this is a short one. Take a look at verse 23 in Job chapter 28. God understands the way to it, and he alone knows where it dwells. So the answer is, is found in God. True wisdom is found in God. Again, reading off what I shared earlier, New Dictionary of Biblical Theology, true wisdom comes from God. It is God who gives to humans a heart capable of discerning good and evil. The original sin of humankind was a belief that it was possible to acquire wisdom by human powers alone, disregarding the will of God. The beginning of true wisdom is the fear of the Lord, which is a source of all life. Where can wisdom be found? The answer is in God. Leading to point number four, our last point. How does wisdom apply to my life? In every sermon, it's all about application. It's always about Jesus, even if I'm doing a passage on the Old Testament or 
the book of the prophets or whatever we're doing, any book where Jesus is not physically present that is shown in the scripture, I do two things. I point it back to Jesus Christ. Where is Jesus in the passage? And then number two, it's about the application. If it doesn't apply to your life, what does it matter? You can learn all head knowledge, but if, it's, if we can't apply it in our day-to-day life, what does it matter? What is it for? So again, how does wisdom apply to my life? And in this context of Job series, how does wisdom apply to my life in suffering like Job? So how does wisdom apply to my life, especially in times of suffering? Let's look at our sub-point A. Wisdom helps us endure. Can you repeat after me? Wisdom, wisdom helps, us helps us endure. endure. Amen. Let it be. Wisdom helps us from speaking foolishly. What do we learn from Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, and Job's wife? They spoke foolishly, right? We had a whole sermon, many sermons about them. They spoke foolishly because they did not have the wisdom of God. So wisdom helps us from speaking foolishly. It's what I read in the beginning of the message with the prayer. I, share, I read with you Psalm 15. People who do not have wisdom, they speak slander. They talk about others. They go ahead and they hurt others. They, they, they use people for money. But what does it say? A person of wisdom is what? A person who lends money to the poor without interest, who does not accept bribe against the innocent. But it's about a person who honors the Lord. But if you honor the Lord, you will not do wrong to your neighbor. You will not slander them with wrong things. You will not cast slurs on others. For we speak from the truth in our heart. So we understand here that wisdom helps us from speaking foolishly to our friends, to our neighbors, to our family members. Again, the example is Eliphaz, Zophar, and Bildad, and the wife that spoke foolishly, right? Let us see. Wisdom helps us make right decisions in life. Wisdom helps us make right decisions in life. Life is all about the box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. It's about the choices that you make. And the choices that you make today is going to ultimately bring the outcome of your future. Bible is given to us so that we can make the right decisions. And if you're filled with wisdom, you will ultimately make the right decisions. And I say that carefully because we are human beings and we are fallen individuals and we live in a broken world, but we have the word of God as our guide. Wisdom helps us make right decisions in life. Even when we don't, Even when you feel like you made the wrong decision, wisdom will help you to repent and turn around and to seek God with a repentant heart. Letter D, wisdom helps us to see hardships with the right perspective. Say that again. Wisdom helps us to see hardships with the right perspective. Take a look at Job. 
in his suffering, he saw God for who he is. That God is good. That God is faithful. Again, he never cursed God, right? That God is just. That God is holy. That he is kind. That he is merciful. And that there is no one else like him on this planet. Again, wisdom helps us to see hardships with the right perspective. And the last soul point, letter E. Wisdom helps us to know Christ and his suffering on the cross. I said it again. Wisdom helps us to know Christ and his suffering on the cross. Well, it says on the cross for us. I added that. But on the cross. But ultimately for me. For us as a church. And that is why we are here today. Amen? So again, just going off, how does wisdom apply to my life? In this context, how does wisdom apply to my life, especially in times of suffering? Letter A, wisdom helps us endure. Wisdom helps us from speaking foolishly. Wisdom helps us make right decisions in life. Wisdom helps us to see hardships with the right perspective. Wisdom helps us to know Christ in his suffering on the cross. And together, and we're closing with this passage, let's read it all together out loud. Ready? Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. Ready? 1, 2, 3. With our eyes closed. The quest for wisdom. You have one life to live and one life, that is it. One life, one chance. When we live this one life well, with the wisdom that comes from the Holy Spirit. When we live our lives with the fear of the Lord, that we're not here to please people, we're not here to please our co-workers, we're not here to please the world the way that the world wants you to live, but you are here to please one person, and his name is Jesus Christ. Why? Because he gave himself for you. He gave it all for you that he did not consider equality with God to use to his own advantage. But he humbled himself and became nothing. Do you understand what that means? That he became a servant. That in human likeness, that he became a man, appearance as a man, fully God, fully man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death and even death on the cross. Do you understand what that means? Wisdom helps you understand and to know Christ and his suffering on the cross. It's not just about head knowledge or knowing it in your head, but you know it in your heart, you know it deep within your soul, your nefesh, you know it with all your being. 
if you truly understand the death of the cross, the suffering of the cross, his death and his resurrection, the suffering that he had to go through to die for you, to die on the cross for you, if you don't know it in your heart, if you don't know it in your being, then you will live a foolish life. That you'll be crucifying our Lord Jesus Christ over and over and over and over again. How dare we disrespect who God is. May we approach Him today with reverence and be in awe before His mighty name. May we be on our knees seeking the face of Jesus Christ, the one who died, the one who loved, the one who died for you. May we wake up from our slumber from our feelings, our emotions. But may we place faith over our feelings, truth over our feelings. You may be sitting here today, you may say, is wisdom even necessary? And the truth and the answer is, yes, it is absolutely necessary. Proverbs 4 tells us, get wisdom. Get understanding. Get it. It says, do not forget my words or turn away from them. It says, do not forsake wisdom. Why? Because she will protect you. Proverbs 4 tells us to love her, to love wisdom. And then wisdom will watch over you. It goes on and says, the beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Even though it costs all that you have, it says, get understanding. Cherish her. And in return, wisdom will exalt you. Embrace wisdom, it says. Embrace her. And wisdom will honor you. Wisdom will give you a garland to grace your head. And present you with a glorious crown. Men and women of God, do not pursue the things of this world, but pursue Him. And in Him is wisdom. The quest for wisdom. It's not a quest for a husband. It's not a quest for a wife. It's not a quest for that job. It's not a quest for wealth. It's not a quest for popularity. It's not a quest for being accepted among your peers. But it's a quest for seeking his wisdom as Solomon did. James 1. Ask God. Ask him. If you lack wisdom, ask. And he will give it to you generously without finding fault. right now just with our voices and I want to invite the praise team to come up let's make this prayer time natural it's not about how we sound or what we say but it's about your heart lining with God's heart 
It's by lining up with His wisdom. So right now, with our voices, and at this time, without distractions, do not worry about what's going on around you. I want us to have our first Kings 3 moment. God is asking us, ask for whatever you want me to give you. What is going to be your answer? Are you going to ask God for wealth? Are you going to ask God for honor? Are you going to ask God for material things? What are you going to ask Him? Can we be like Solomon and with humility? And can we ask God for a heart of wisdom? Wisdom will save us. Wisdom will cherish us. Wisdom will protect us. Wisdom will guide us. Wisdom will fight for us. Wisdom will help us endure. Wisdom will help us from speaking foolishly. Wisdom will help us to make right decisions in life. Wisdom will help us to see hardships with the right perspective. Wisdom will help us to know Christ and His suffering for us. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forget His words. Do not turn from them. Do not forsake wisdom. And the wisdom of God will protect you. Love wisdom. It will watch over you. For the beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. It will cost all that you have. Even if it costs all that you have, cherish it. Exalt it. And it will embrace you. And it will honor you. It will give you a garland to grace your head. It will present you with the glorious crown. Can we ask God for the heart of wisdom as Solomon did? Can we pray together? Heavenly Father, we come before you as a church. We pray. We pray God for our church.
God said to him, Since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart, so that there will never be, never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. Lord, let us have the mindset of Jesus Christ, who, being in very nature God, humbled himself, became nothing. Was found in human likeness, and as an appearance as a man, humbled yourself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Oh, wisdom of God, come help us to know the truth, the truth of this statement, God. You died for us. Oh, we have been too spoiled. We know it in our heads, but we have forgotten in our hearts. Let us turn back to the first love. Oh, wisdom of God, come! Spirit, wisdom, come! Oh, adorn us, oh God! Change us from the inside out. Transform us from the inside out. Spirit of God, Holy Spirit, the wisdom of God, come and humble us. Spirit of humility, Lord, destroy the pride that is within us, O oh God. Let us be a church that is marked by Your brokenness, by the victory of the cross. By your humility, also with your courage and with your confidence, to point all of our victories, to point all of our gifts, to point all of our accomplishments, and that we'll point it back to you, Lord. Have your way within us. Strengthen this church. Strengthen every individual who are here, and for those who are listening. We give glory to you. To your to your name alone, we love you. We thank you. Pray all these things. Your precious Son, Jesus Christ, in my prayer. And God's people pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen.